So we all know people want to change, right? I mean, that, that's pretty much assured. People want to get better at this thing called life. It's why we have New Year's resolutions. We goal set. I was at my health club yesterday playing basketball. Membership is always through the roof. In uh, January, a lot of those people will quit mid-year. Going to Barnes & Noble, all the new books out are about diet and financial health. So, so everybody wants to get just a little bit better in life. And, and I've always believed, since the time I became a Christian, that Christians should want to get better in life more than anyone for two reasons. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, I've always loved that scripture. Here's what it means. It doesn't mean we tremble at God's presence. It means we value his presence. In other words, the fear of the Lord means that's what we're living for. And Jesus said when we seek first the kingdom of God, when we're all in, we get wiser. That Hebrew word, hoikmah, means skill. There is a skill in living life. It's called wisdom. And I know before I was a Christian, uh, you know, I was living life by what my parents said or the things I heard or maybe I picked up some knowledge. Now the beautiful thing is the fear of the Lord is wisdom. And now the decisions we make and the goals that we have are inspired and driven by God. And it's no longer willpower. You know, Jesus said his desire was for you and me that we would go and bear much fruit. He wants us to live productive lives. And he uses a botanical illustration, I love it, all through the scripture, not only because they were agrarian, because it's organic, right? Everything's about a seed going into a ground, and you know when a seed goes into a ground that the growth is slow, sometimes you can't even see it, but you know after a while you're going to see this, you know, lush, beautiful plant grow, and there's going to be fruit and people are going to enjoy it. One of the problems with self-help, it's you have to help yourself, and then at the end, you just helped yourself, okay? It's willpower. In the kingdom of God, Jesus said, I will give you another one, a comforter, dunamis power, what they received on the day of Pentecost, that you will be able to live the Christian life, not on your own, but by the power of God. Second thing is we have this amazing feedback mechanism called the word of God. James says it's like looking in a mirror, right? We open the perfect law of liberty, we open the Bible, and oh my gosh, it's like looking in a mirror. I see this imperfection, that imperfection, and I'm able to deal with it. Look what we're doing right now. You know, most people are out at brunch, can't golf in the snow, so I don't know what they do in the winter, but uh, most people are getting ready for football. Uh, they don't do this. And if they do go to church, they do it by tradition, kind of checking the box. We have this once-a-week feedback mechanism where we sit under the anointing of the Spirit and it redirects our path. And hopefully we're getting better at this thing called life. So we're going to look at five keys to lasting internal change. And we started last week with the scripture in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. Craig Rochelle kind of nailed this home last week. We serve a God who wants to do immeasurably more than you can even fathom. The scripture says God would do a work in our day that if we saw it, we still wouldn't believe it. Can you imagine those who came out of Egypt? Could you imagine being released from the world empire of the day? Could you imagine seeing the plagues and the pillar of cloud? Could you imagine eating of the manna? There's a God who wants to do immeasurably more. And Craig Rochelle kept saying this, there's more in you, there's more in you. Not because you have confidence in yourself, because there's a God who wants to do more through you. He wants to expand your capacity. 
And so Craig Rochelle talked about the five C's of expanding our capacity. And he asked us to stand for one, not two or three, stand for one where we're going to look for significant change in 2017. Now, it was New Year's Day. A lot of you weren't here. For those of you who were here, quick review. Here's, here's the five. Number one, a lot of you stood for this one. I was surprised. You're going to have to build your confidence. A lot of us are involved in what, what Craig talked about was negative self-talk. Talking about how bad things are, the bad hand you were dealt in life, etc., etc. What we have to start doing is reading scripture and saying the things God says about us. But to live more faith-filled lives. A lot of you stood for number two. We have to expand our connections. He shared how we're all one relationship away from life changing. And I agree, it's happened in my life. He shared how one church leader set him on a trajectory in his life. If you want to expand your connections, you have to show up to things. I'll tell a story later uh, that will explain that. Number three, some of us have to improve our competence. God gave you gifts, you have to sharpen the axe. Number four was strengthen your character. There is a sin that easily besets each and every one of us. Some of us, it's besetting us for a long time. We don't want to deal with it. We just live with it. Maybe this is the year you deal with it and go in another direction. And the one I stood for was to increase my commitment to the things God has called me to do. To increase my grit and steadfastness and stick-to-itness and really go for the gusto for the things God's called me to do. Now, if you missed a talk, it's powerful. We can't put it on the web because of copyright infringement. So we sold a boatload of CDs last week and a bunch after the first service. If you can't afford it, we'll give it to you. There's outlines and notes. But you've got to nail that down. Here's why it's the first step. Repentance is always the first step to change. Always the first step. And repentance means to think and go in another direction. And so when you look at your life, you think, okay, my marriage is far below what the Bible says Two people in love in Christian relationships should be, I'm going to stand up and go in another direction. I'm going to get a book on marriage. I'm going to go see a counselor, whatever it takes. Or my finances aren't in the right place. Or my spiritual disciplines. I haven't prayed in months. I haven't read the Bible. So I'm going to change and go in another direction. The alternative is to do the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And that's what? Insanity. Uh, Christians think they'll do the same thing over and over, and God will give them different results. And guess what that is? Double insanity. Okay? All right. So, step number one. You have to identify one of those Cs. Today, I'm going to talk about step number two. It's another diagnostic, and Christians overlook this one. If you're going to grow and change in Christ, you have to analyze the pace of your life. You must analyze the pace of your life. There are three things I've ever seen drawn on a flip chart that changed the trajectory of my life, and I'm going to draw one for you. A man got out a marker, and he drew an upward line. And he said, in life, God wants every Christ follower to be adequately challenged. In other words, you should love Mondays. You should love your work. And it doesn't matter if it's blue-collar work or white-collar work. And by the way, our God doesn't discriminate. Martin Luther said if you wash dishes or preach the gospel, that's good work and you get the same reward. 
And you know what God is in the garden? He's a gardener. My dad was a landscaper. God put his fingers in the dirt and got dirty. And then when he became a man, guess what he did? He was a carpenter. So all work is good work. And if it's not good work, change it. Your marriage, your spirituality, your church service. God wants us to be adequately challenged. Now, notice the line goes upward. You know why? All worthwhile dreams are uphill. All worthwhile dreams are uphill. And the longer we live, we should be attaining to some of these goals. Now, the person said the problem in life is some of us are under-challenged. When you're under-challenged, you get bored. When you're bored, bad things happen. You get into real silly bad things. Some of us are over-challenged, and you get stressed. And really bad things happen when you're stressed. The goal is to be adequately challenged. Now, there are seasons where you're going to be over-challenged. Maybe you're taking care of a loved one. Maybe, maybe there's financial strain in your life. Maybe you're working two jobs. There's nothing wrong with being over-challenged seasonally. There are times where I've been under-challenged seasonally, kind of hitting the restart button, but we don't want to live in any of those places. We all want to be adequately challenged in life, and that's what today's message is about. The Holy Spirit revealing to you, are you under-challenged? Are you adequately challenged? Or are you over-challenged? Now, I'm going to give you a couple ideas to help you through this. I can't do it for you. There has to be an aha moment where the Holy Spirit comes down and says, bingo, that's you. So here we go. We'll figure out where we are. And I've done this diagnostic for myself. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's read from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. And I'm reminded of your sincere faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells as well in you. For this reason I remind you, you know this scripture, to stir up the gift that's within you. Timothy, stir up the gift that's within you. Why? Because God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Now, we were in 1 Timothy all of December, and we know Timothy was a traveling partner of Paul. They had gone all over the world planting churches. Paul was a great church leader. He was an apostle. He was a church planner. You couldn't have had a better mentor than the apostle Paul. Timothy now is the lead pastor in Ephesus. It was the New York City of the day. And he's struggling. When we study First Timothy, Paul's writing to him about false doctrine, about heresy. Uh, the culture in Ephesus was very rich. They had the Temple of Diana there. There was temple prostitution. Nero has now burned Rome and blamed the Christians. So persecution's at an all-time high. And for some reason or another, Timothy's spirits are low. He's lacking motivation and confidence in God. His commitment is waning. Timothy is under-challenged, and Paul knows it. And he writes them this letter, and he takes them down memory lane in such a godly fashion, such a loving fashion. He said, Timothy, look, 
You have had every advantage imaginable to do this. You're born to do this. God gave you two strong women in your life who prayed constantly. Acts tells us that they not only prayed, they raised Timothy in the scriptures, the Hebrew Bible. Grandmother and your mother were godly women. Timothy, remember the prophetic word that was uttered over you that you were going to do great things for God? And Timothy, you travel with me. I laid my own hands on you. Wouldn't you think if Paul laid his hands on you, you'd be pretty sure in your calling? Timothy, I laid my own hands on you. And then he tells him this. Stir up the gift that's within you. Uh, I've been reading a lot of the ESV lately, and it says, fan into flames the gift that's within you. Somehow the embers of Timothy's calling had gone low. The fire was going out. He needed to kindle afresh. He needed to relight the fires of his own gift. It was Timothy's responsibility. No one could do it for him. Some of you are beginning 2017 in that spot. You are under-challenged, maybe at work, maybe in your marriage, maybe church life, relationship with God. And we're we're probably going to be all over the board. Some of us are going to be over-challenged, under-challenged, adequately challenged in some areas. But God's going to give you an aha moment that you got to get to adequately challenged. For Timothy, in his calling, he had lost the fire. Some of you are in that place. Some of you, no pun intended, were on fire for God at one time. You street witnessed, you weren't ashamed of the gospel, you talked to cubicle mates, guys in the truck, ladies, you know, on the block. You read your Bible, you couldn't wait for the next book to come out, you communed with God, you were a prayer warrior. Now the embers are burning low. And you've lost excitement, and you're checking the box, and you're mailing it in. You're under-challenged. I've been there. I've been in a waiting season where God, where people will say, back in my early days, Bob, aren't you tired of doing nothing for God? That's a weird question to be asked. And it was just a season of under-challenge. I remember being under-challenged at my job, going back to college and see if I can get another degree. And, And these are all good things. But sooner or later, we've got to act and fan the flames again. What usually happens is we blame someone. We blame churches. We blame church leaders. We blame our friends, the hand we're dealt, our health, etc., etc. Uh, I'm kind of a pyromania at heart. I love fires. I have a gas stove. I have fire pits. Uh, I play with fire wherever I go, hotels, whatever. Um, gets me in trouble now and again. Um, I'm pretty good at fires. I've only failed a couple times. I know this. Three things make a fire. Wood, oxygen, and a caretaker. Somebody's got to kindle the flames. Now, here's the the good news. If your flame is burning low, it can be ignited pretty quick. I was on a men's retreat one year. We had a guest speaker who was uh, in the military, and those guys always carry like a pocket knife of some sort. So it was midnight, and we were at this retreat center where we came out, and they put the fires out about 11. I I swear there was one ember left. And he goes, watch this. He went over to a piece of wood, cut off a, I mean, it couldn't have been more than an inch of that piece of wood. And about, gosh, one-eighth of an inch thick, right? And he took that little piece of wood, and he put it on an ember. He goes, watch this. And he began to blow. And then he got another ember and he blew. And, and in about five minutes, we had a roaring fire. That's how quick you can fan into flame what God has for you 
if you're under-challenged. Um, again, I've been in all of these areas. I think I can help you. So I want to give you three things that can help you fan your gift back into a strong flame. Uh, first of all, you have to know your gift. Now, for young Christians, this is hard. For older Christians, you should know your gifts. I should be able to walk up to you in the atrium and say, tell me your top three gifts. Every Christian should be able to do that. If you met me in the atrium and said, Bob, what are your top three gifts? I would say leadership's number one, teaching's number two, hospitality's number three. Right down the line. There's no doubt about it. Now, I couldn't have done it early in my Christian walk, but everybody should be able to identify to some extent what their spiritual gifts are. I couldn't do it when I got saved. I couldn't do it five years in. Um, here's what I do know. God has given each and every one of us a charismata, a spiritual gift. It's not a natural gifting. If you're a good cook or you can play the piano, that's a natural gift. And use it for the glory of God. But at salvation, there is deposited in each and every one of us a charismatic gift, a spiritual gift. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4 give us 26. There's probably, they're probably representative of hundreds of giftings. They're called spiritual gifts. Think about it. Think about it this way. Um, Nobody prophesied before they were saved. Nobody spoke in tongues, right? Those are spiritual gifts. The problem is we stop at those speaking gifts and we think mercy isn't a spiritual gift. Now, people in the world have mercy. Maybe you were merciful before you were a Christian. But because it's spiritual, the gift is, is empowered differently by God. So we have to know what our spiritual gift is. Now, here's what happened to me. I'm a brand new Christian, 21 years old. I mean, I'm on fire for God. And I go to church, and it probably looks a lot like our church where everything's already done, right? People play music, somebody preaches, there's people all over the place. Oh my gosh, everybody's doing something here, right? One day, in the bulletin, there was an ad that they needed more ushers. I couldn't even listen to the message. My heart was just pumping out of my chest. Now, I didn't have this lifelong dream of an uphill battle to become an usher. In fact, until I got saved, I didn't even know what an usher was, except in the movie theater, right? But because I could get into the game and do something for God, I was supremely excited. Became an usher, began to serve. The lead usher kind of took me as his mentor. I co-led his Bible study with him. We became lifelong friends. Amazing what God could do. Then I found out there was an opening in youth ministry, and since I was 21, I was an athlete, I thought I could help there, and just so we can go on the record, I did do children's ministry for two years. I had my time in the barrel. And by the way, I did toddlers, and I did it at a charismatic church where the services were two and a half hours long, so I changed diapers twice on some kids, all right? Wound up doing a home Bible study, and here's what happens. I jumped in because of need and I wanted to be involved. And then you jump around and then somewhere along the line you hit your sweet spot. This is what I was made to do. This is what I was born to do. I feel right in my skin. Sometimes it's directly opposite of what you do at work. Some guys do white collar work all week. All they want to do is work in the parking lot. I love working in the parking lot. I love shaking hands. I just Put me with kids. I just want to be with kids. But usually how that's how it works. And you start to fan that flame. And God tends to take your giftedness and use it for his glory. So here's a question. Can you name your spiritual gifts? Can you name your top three gifts? 
Now, if you can, it's not a problem. We used to do spiritual gift tests for people. Just Google spiritual gift tests. Take a spiritual gift test. We can help you. Uh, talk to somebody here. Romans 12, verses 6 and 8 says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that God has given us. These are grace gifts. God gives these gifts so we can edify one another. Listen, let us use them. If you have a gift, use it, the Bible says. Don't let it atrophy. If, you're, if you have a gift of giving, give liberally. If you have a gift of leadership, do it with diligence, mercy, cheerfulness. Put them to use. If you study church history, whenever the church believed that the clergy or the professionals would do the work, the church shrank. Whenever the church believed every person was a minister, they blew the gates of hell away. That's what we want to see here. 2017 at Calvary, we want to have a volunteer revolution. Why? Because we need to get more work done? Yeah. God's got a lot of work to get done. And we want to get you in the game so you can feel what it's like to serve. And it's not just here. You know, I get emails from people I love in this church, and they tell me what they're doing, and they're writing for magazines, and they're serving in the inner city, and it's wonderful because they feel right in their skin, and they're flanning in the flame. So number one, as you do your diagnostics, is the Holy Spirit speaking about this? Is there an area where you're under-challenged and you haven't fanned a gift for a long time? Are you sitting on a gift? Is there something that needs to be fanned in the flame? Second thing that needs to happen is you need to put your fears at bay. Fear is the opposite of faith. If, if the wood is the gift, then faith is the oxygen. It's what needs to blow through. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy here. He says, Timothy, you seem timid. Cowardly, fearful. Something, something's wrong, Timothy. I, I, I'm hearing things. It doesn't sound like you. And I want you to know, and somebody here needs to know, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Uh, most of us don't do what we're called to do because of fear. We really do. Uh, I share with you there was a time where I was under-challenged not in ministry, but in what I did for a living. I worked for a Fortune 500 company, had a great job, was very thankful. Uh, didn't want to rise too high in that company so I could do ministry, but really wrestle with why God had me there. And um, I was doing a home Bible study, and I had a dream to be a pastor one day, and I'm doing this home Bible study, and I get a letter in the mail from the church saying, I was invited to a pastor's conference. Now, you have to hear me out. I would go to pastor's conferences on my own, pay my own way, national pastor's conference. I wasn't even a pastor. Um, didn't have the money to go. I would just go. And I wanted to go to Bible school, but we had small children, and I didn't want to move my family. And now I'm getting a letter that I'm invited to a pastor's conference. I mean, I looked at that letter. I made sure they had the right person. I thought, I, I mean, it was, it was like God all over it. Are you ready for this? I didn't go. I'll never forget, it was Memorial Day. I was miserable the whole weekend. I didn't go. I, was, I, I didn't know anybody. I was afraid nobody would know me. I was afraid of failure. I mean, I had a hundred fears, and I did what was comfortable. I stayed home. Now, here's where God's grace comes in. Next year comes, I get the letter again. Sucked it up. Went. God spoke to me, and the rest is history. I had to put my fear 
at bay. Now, then I started church. Now I'm working, working overtime, raising three kids, coaching, um, and running a church for four years. Now I'm over-challenged. And so both times I had to get to a place where by the power of the Spirit, I could be adequately challenged. You know why? Because soul and speed don't mix. If you're running hot and running on margin, your soul will shrink. If you're under-challenged, your soul will atrophy. The fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in our life, wants to get us adequately challenged where we could live life. Uh, most of you might know I'm a student of the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I know we're a new covenant people. But I look at 1 Corinthians where Paul uses Israel a lot and uh, he speaks to them as the congregation in the wilderness. So I just love the Old Testament. It's the New Testament concealed. It's like a picture book of the New Testament. And when you study the Old Testament, you study a lot about Israel. And you study a lot about Israel's failures. And I look at that generation that came out of Egypt, and it's astonishing. Because it says, God says, they will not enter into my rest. They'll never see the land. And every one of them died in the wilderness. And you know why they died? Unbelief. Fear is unbelief. And you know what I've come to realize studying the Old Testament? There's a lot of Israel in me. I don't know how you feel about yourself. There's a lot of Israel in me. There's a lot of the world that still looks enticing to me. There's a lot of coulda, woulda, shoulda, too many of them in my life. I still smell the garlics, the leeks. I still look back. I'm still caught in the land between so many times. There's still a lot of Israel in me that God is removing by his grace. John Orpberg, who wrote the classic book, If You Want to Walk on Water, you have to get out of the boat. And you all know the story, right? Peter and all the guys are out of the boat, fishermen their whole lives on the Sea of Galilee. There's a storm. They're afraid. And they see Jesus. And Peter says, Jesus, is that you? And Jesus is a water, water walker, right? And he said, Peter, you can walk on water too. Just get out of the boat. Peter gets out of the boat. And for 2,000 years, he's been laughed at, right? Because he sank. But everybody forgets he walked a little bit. He was a water walker for a couple steps. And we always chide Peter. You know what John Ortberg says? The rest of the guys were boat potatoes. That's what they were. They were the guys that never even tried. Stayed where they thought it was safe. You know what amazes me about the story? Because I went back and read it again. And it's what's great about the Bible. You can keep reading and get something else. I was reading and I thought, you know what? If you're going to follow Jesus, he's going to take you to messy difficult places. He's going to take you in the midst of storms because that's generally where he is. He's generally not where things are comfortable. He's generally out among the people that are lost and in need. And if you're going to follow God, and if you're going to be a water walker in 2017, you're going to have to get out of the boat and get into the mess. Peter drowns. Not really. He just sinks a little. And then he denies Jesus. At the crucifixion, he falls asleep in Gethsemane. He's got this long list of failures, right? All the times he put his foot in his mouth. And today he's a pillar. And Revelation said, you know, one of the stones in New Jerusalem will be to his name. It's not how many failures you have. It's how many times you get up out into the water and begin to walk. God wants you to use your gifting. He said, Pastor Bob, how do I know? How do I know 
I'm adequately challenged. I can't tell you. I can just tell you what it feels like for me. When I'm adequately challenged, I can have a lot of things on my plate. I just feel God's presence. I just feel it. Uh, even though there's things I can't solve or things I don't like about what I do, I just feel his, his movement in my life. He shows me signs he's involved. I feel right in my skin. I love Mondays. Doesn't mean there's not challenges. You know, a lot of life is the mundane. You got to get through it. But you just see his hand all the way. I know when I'm under challenged, I channel surf, I, I go out and buy things I shouldn't have. I mean, I can give you a long list. Well, how do I use my gifts? Well, just get back in the game. Had a guy out for lunch Friday. I said, look, Start tomorrow, read John 1, then John 2, then John 3. Don't read three chapters, read one. And say, God, speak to me through your word. And all of a sudden, your day will light up. God will start to show you things, people to talk to, things you need to do, steps you need to take. Then you've got to put your fears at bay. When God speaks, you've got to go. Here's the final thing. And I went to a thesaurus, because I didn't want to offend anyone. You guys know I don't like to offend people, right? <laughs> I didn't want to say laziness keeps us under challenged. So I tried to find a better way to say it. So I came up with spiritual sluggardliness. Does that sound a little better? Some of us are lazy. Some of us are lazy when it comes to spirituality and our regular life. Verse 7, Timothy, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear but of love, power, and can I tell you the Greek word for a sound mind and for all those people that like to chase demons and talk about mental illness and take this verse out of context? God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but love, power, ready? And self-control, discipline, discipline. Um, what are we called? What are we trying to do in life? We're trying to disciple people. What's a disciple? A disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. Discipline is part of the spiritual life. People that think they're saved and God's going to do the work are sadly mistaken. We are disciplined followers of Christ. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Timothy, you have self-control. You have, you have calling. You have discipline. Look at the illustration he gives him in chapter 2. Verse 3, share in sufferings is a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, Timothy, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The Lord won't do it for you, Timothy. But look in your congregation. There's three types of men. There's a soldier. The soldier, the example we get from him, is that he endures hardship. You know what the hardship of a soldier is? He can get picked off at any time. Do you know we have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy? Your upward dreams, there's an enemy who wants to tear him down. He never wants you to get there. And he'll lie to you all day long that you're not worthy and you're not good enough. And that's why you need a helmet of faith and a shield and, and all the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, etc. Because the fiery darts of the enemy are coming. And a soldier doesn't get entangled with the things of this world. Now, 
Um, doesn't mean we don't have pleasure, we don't go to movies, we don't do things that are in the world. Uh, what it means for me is I don't involve myself in any way with things that will lead me away from God's calling in my life. I don't know any other way to say it. Paul, in so many ways, had no regrets. He said, I've run the race, I finished the course. He said the Christian life was like a race. We're not racing to beat other Christians. We're running all different courses. But Paul said, I've run the race. It was over. I finished the course. There is now laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Paul said, I've laid it all out. It's all out on the field. There's nothing left. All the lemon is out of the, all the juice is out of the lemon. I, I put it all out there. I've got no regrets. This is the way you want to live. You want to live with no regrets. It's better to say I shouldn't have than I should have. No regrets. Next thing he gives is the athlete. The athlete competes according to the rules. The athlete, everything in his body, everything he does, train to win. And then finally, the hardworking farmer. The farmer's intentional. He rises early. He rests at night. He works by day. He believes God for the seed, the rain, everything he needs for his plants and crops to grow. Timothy, look at these men. They're in your congregation. Soldiers, athletes, farmers. Here's an example, Timothy. The same works involved in your growth and change. God will give the increase. There's a proverb that I love, I read it often, where Solomon one day throws off his robes and he walks around Jerusalem and he sees a field overgrown with thistles and thorns. If you know anything about Jerusalem, there's hardly any fields, it's all rock. And Solomon said the field preached to him what might have been. And he writes these famous words, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and surely your poverty will come like an armed man. Somebody of Solomon's wisdom was able to look at a field and consider what would have been. This could have been a garden. This could have been a vineyard. This, this could have produced for a family. The Bible says you're God's field, that you've been given resources, and God requires something of that. And you see, laziness isn't we're just lazy. It's a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. In week five, I'm going to show you a video, and I think one saying out of that video is going to nail you between the eyes like it did me. John Maxwell's going to stand there like this, and he's going to say, we all have upward dreams and downward habits. Uphill dreams, downward habits. And one of the problems is, intentionally, we never deal with them. And we're not talking about radical change. Craig Rochelle talked about if we change 5% every year, we can get a little more ahead of the game. And by the power of the Spirit, God is there. And God wants us to grow. He wants to transform us inside into the image of his Son. And it takes intentionality. And it takes time with him. And the fruit of it is we get adequately challenged in life. It's wonderful. I love to watch people post-60 
who are still thriving in their Christianity. And the reason I love it is because it, Chuck Smith always said that's where the fruit comes. Tremendous fruit, right? Like August where you have so many tomatoes you don't know what to do with it. The people I'm concerned about are 45 to 60 who are kind of lost. They raised their kids. They already bought a home. And, 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 and now they're in that window. And if I can just get them to 60, keep them curious, excited, all the fruit comes. All comes in at the end. Stir up the gift. Stir it up. There's something in every one of us. There's a contribution in everything that we do so that one day we'll have no regrets. A few years ago, I, I get four or five books every Christmas from people. I really appreciate them. One year, a lady gave me a small little inspirational read. I think I read it in like a half an hour. Um, but it was called 20,000 Days and Counting. Uh, the author, Robert D. Smith, went on a website that had a New Year's Eve countdown clock, so you could find out how many days it was till New Year's Eve. Well, he put his birthday in, and it's still calculated that he had lived, it backdated, he had lived 20,000 days. And it floored him. He thought, 20,000 days? What have I done with 20,000 days? And it revolutionized his life, and the rest of the book is about his story. G.K. Chesterton said, here dies another day during which I've had ears, eyes, hands, and the great world around me. And with tomorrow begins another, why am I allowed to? Why are we allowed 10, 10,000, 20,000, 40,000? I don't know. Everybody gets a different number. Everybody has a dash. What are you doing with your dash? What are you doing with your field? Is your field adequately producing what God designed it to do? Have you gotten all the juice out of the lemon? It's the only way to live, guys. It's the only way to live as a believer. It's the only way. It's what God has for us.